1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Good morning, Michael. So good to have you here with us each and every Monday. And I was watching you warm up before you came on here, and it looked like you popped your neck, and it, it looked like it hurt. Are you you doing okay? You I'm ready fine, to answer all I'm these? Fine. Okay. All <laughs> right. Work out. You look yeah. serious. Like you are so ready to answer these questions that are coming straight out of the Tennessee Valley. So, Michael, thanks so much for doing this each week with us. Well, we're going to get started with these questions. And um, the first one is actually one that we've held over from last week. And it's about the parable of the ten virgins. So they say, why does the parable of the ten virgins with the lamp going to the wedding mean? And how does this match with once saved, always saved? Well, well first of all, I, 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 let me just say, when we talk about the security of the believer, I don't know why it is that it, that my personal feelings. I don't like calling it once saved, always saved, because it sounds sort of derogatory about that. Like that's some sort of stupid idea. Hmm. When we talk about it, we should talk about the security of the believer. Mm -hmm. uh, and not even the perseverance of the saints, but the perseverance of the Savior. Savior. Hmm. He holds on, on to us. And it says that a genuine believer, he will never let go. Uh, that's, that's what it says in John 10. He's, he's so, I just happen to like calling it the perseverance of the savior, the security, of the believer. That's, that's what we're talking about when, and, and I'm sorry, I'm sure that the, the person who sent that question and didn't mean anything by calling it once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. But, but I think we, we ought to understand that that's usually how it's used in sort of a, sort of a pejorative way to describe that teaching. Uh, now, uh, as for the, the Ten Virgins, I'm not sure how it conflicts with anyone's concept of the, uh, the, the security of the believer. It just says that there are some people who are ready for the bride to come and some people who aren't. Uh, and that's really true. If you believe in an imminent rapture, there are people who are ready, who have oil, and others who did not prepare and don't have oil it just means that there are some people because they they're not ready they didn't prepare for themselves uh in the same way uh there are people today who are saying well you know jesus is coming someday but you know i don't have to think about that now and I'll, someday i'll put my trust in jesus and it will be sudden imminent when you least expected sort of like candid camera you know uh do you remember that tv show when yeah you least expect it uh, that's when the Lord Jesus will return 
and there will be some people who are not ready. So this is a, a, a reminder to us to be ready. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a warning, you know, just because we do know that it could come at any time. And, and it's yeah. it's like a, a plea to please be ready. There are some that are ready now. You also can be ready now. You don't have to stumble around waiting. You should make that decision as soon as possible. Yeah, right now. Don't wait. You know what the scriptures say, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to trust in Jesus. Uh, you know, I think that people sometimes read Left Behind or things like that, and they get all nervous. You don't have to read Left Behind. You just have to read what Jesus said. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, really, if you've been thinking about Jesus, you've been thinking about, ah, someday I'll put my trust in him. Someday is not the right day. Today is the right day to mm. put your trust in him, to believe that he died for us and rose again. Mm. Yeah, I believe okay. that. I also believe Jerry Jenkins believes that as well. Don't read his work. Yep. <laughs> read what the scripture says about that and respond to that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, Michael, we do have another question that was left over from last week, uh, because last week we were talking about worship. You kind of educated us on kind of the word works in Genesis 2.15, talking yeah. about that. And so here's a question that's based off of that from last week's topic of work meaning worship in the original Hebrew. How does that knowledge impact the teaching we've always heard that work was established before man's fall? Does it change anything? Well, I know some people have taught that. Uh Well, how do I put this? I think that we still need to obey what God has to say about uh, work being done in any, you know, whatever we do in every way, we honor him with our work. However, I don't think work has to be created before the fall. Uh, I think that really what you have is our work was worship before the fall, and the consequence of the fall was now we're going to take time away from that, and you have to work with the sweat of your brow. In the remember the curse mm-hmm. on Adam, so that that's the consequence. So our the initial work in the garden was worship, but then uh, after the fall. So I know that I went to school with a guy, uh, Doug Sherman. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wrote a book, "Your Work Matters to God." He made a big deal mm-hmm. uh, in that book that worship work was created before the fall. And so work is part of God's ordained plan for people, even uh, in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. I just happen to disagree with him. So, okay. But he's a great guy. So, <laughs> Just different uh, perspectives. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're asking questions of all sorts this morning. And uh, this next one, Michael, has to do with the idea of confession. And they're saying, I've always heard that the idea for Catholic confession was wrong because the priest supposedly takes it upon himself to forgive us because we have free access to Jesus through the Holy Spirit that we don't need a third party. Scripture does say to confess our sins one to another. So is that what is really happening in a Catholic confession? Well, I I don't believe that even in Catholic confession, people are thinking that they're confessing to the priest. The priest is just a mediator. So they're confessing to the peace, to God, Mm -hmm. to to the priest, to God. And uh, I do think that we don't need to have any other mediator other than the Lord Jesus. And so uh, our Catholic friends, I would just encourage them, you know, you can talk to God directly through, in the name of Jesus, through our Lord Jesus. But, uh, you know, that's one of those areas where we can agree to disagree. The The phrase in James about confess your sins one to another really refers to when we wrong one another. What, mm. do, what do we need to do? We need to confess our sins one to another. Uh, so if I 
for example, uh, sin against uh, Tom, I have to confess to Tom. But if I did it in front of uh, the whole crew there, then I'd have to do it in front, give, uh, confess my sin and apologize to Tom in front of everyone if I was uh, making a public show of it. Same thing, you know, sometimes you say, this is going to be hard for people to believe, but sometimes you might say a little snip, snippy thing in class or something that's, that's not, uh, you know, just, just perfect. <laughs> and you might hurt a student's feeling as a professor. I, I have, if I do that, I have to confess that sin one to another, but I have to do it in front of the whole class. If it was mm. private, then I confess my sin privately. So. Okay. Mm. That's helpful. Yeah. So it's yeah. a it's a specific type of confession. It's not just confessing everything to each other. It's when yeah. I have offended yeah. you, I need to make that right so that I exactly. can be healed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. Yeah, no, there just seems like there should be a snarky comment in there somewhere, but we're not going to go there. We're going to go with yeah. another question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't believe in snarky comments, yeah. at yeah, least not either. on the radio. I was, I was trying to definitely <laughs> kind of curb what Tommy had going on here. No, I'm just teasing. So, Dr. Rydell, like, here's another question. Um, it has to do with um, Ishmael. And the question is, what nation is Ishmael the father of? Uh, it doesn't say in Scripture. It just says that he settled near Egypt when he uh, left, and uh, uh, 12 tribes came from him. It sounds like they would be sort of Egyptian kind of tribes that developed from him. Uh, it doesn't say anything other than that. Uh, it says that uh, when they sent him away, uh, it says he, uh, God was with the boy and he grew, and he settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wild wilderness of Paran. And his mother got a wife from him from the land of Egypt. So when he left, the, when he was cast out of Abraham's house, mm -hmm. he went to the wilderness of Paran, which is in the Sinai Peninsula, right by Egypt, uh, and uh, got a wife from Egypt. So probably the tribes that came from him were some sort of from the land of Egypt. And I think that question was a follow-up of another right. conversation we had a couple of weeks ago about... Yeah, when I said that Ishmael is not the was father not of the Arab Of people. the Arabs, yeah. yeah I think that that's yeah. shook a lot of us up because that's what we yeah. had been taught. And so I guess it's obvious to ask, so then what is he the father of? Because it seems yeah. like there was, so, there was such a meticulous keeping of records, of family records in that day, that it would be mm -hmm. odd that, you wouldn't, that we wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... So. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying the scriptures never say They don't that. say it, yeah. It, okay. it came from the Quran, uh -huh. the idea that he's the father of the Arab people. Okay. Okay, we yeah. do have uh, another question that is kind of pointing us towards Egypt, and it says this. Um, Since the Israelite people left Egypt in such a hurry, how do they have all of the materials they needed to build the tabernacle? Uh, they brought it with them? I don't know. Especially the porpoise. The porpoise skins threw me. I was wondering. Well, they were, listen, they were by the Red Sea. That was, that would be easy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, porpoise skins? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, oh, uh, I, I really don't know uh, where they got it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that too often, if, the, if it's something that we needed to know, uh, we would know it. Uh, I just mm -hmm. don't think it's something that God thought that was 
uh, he didn't give us the scriptures to satisfy our curiosity. So mm. that's, ah. that's what, which, okay. which sometimes I think we, we, we get like that. We get like little kids, you know, uh, the, but why why mm-hmm. how you know and and the, the point of it is uh you know he's not just there to satisfy our curiosity we're just supposed to believe the scriptures and if if we needed to know it then we would know it okay so well you're hearing the voice of dr michael right down like if you've got questions for michael you can text those in to us at 423-629-8900 and michael as we're kind of wrapping up our time here today you've been answering questions i think since moses now but i'm just yeah, wondering right, right. um do you get one question more than any other from the questions that are asked regularly overall i've been doing open line now next month or two months will be 11 years wow. and uh been for about seven years before that, I was on the Chicago station answering Bible questions. So I've been doing it for a long time. And overall, I would say the question is, uh, who are the sons of God and the daughters of men in the Nephilim in Genesis 6? Which is, uh, the reason I think that's humorous is that it's, it's sort of an inconsequential question. But people are intrigued by it, and they mm-hmm. ask me a lot of questions about it. That's, I think, the number one question I get. The n- second most, uh, and this is a, a significant question, there are many, many questions, sort of like today, about the security of the believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are afraid that they could lose their salvation. And so they come at it from all different kinds of angles and uh, ask me a lot of questions about the security of the believer. So I'd say that's number two. Interesting. Okay. okay. And, uh, well, let's, let's land on that last one as we're wrapping up our time here with the security of the believer as somebody is moving forward in their relationship with Christ and maybe they're steeped in sin or, or they're backsliding a little bit. And, and because of their behavior, maybe they find themselves actually, well, maybe I never was saved. How yeah. do I do that? Um, what kind of, I don't want to say assurance, but if somebody comes to you and talks to you from that angle, Michael, what would you share with them? Well, the very first thing Paul says is, is examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. So, but that's not the people that are usually asking the question, people who were, were superficial believers or not genuine. Uh, usually it's believers who are afraid that they've committed some sin that separates them. So I, I would say, you know, well, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But uh, the, uh, the passage that I turn to with genuine believers who think that they have sinned their way out of the kingdom of God uh, is John 6, 37 through 40. I think it's one of the most important passages. It says, everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. So when God Mm -hmm. leads you to the Lord Jesus, he will receive you. Secondly, he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. The Lord Jesus always does the Father's will, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Here's the assurance we have. The Lord Jesus stakes his entire claim of being the Messiah on the fact that he always does the Father's will. And one specific aspect of the Father's will is that he will keep us. Mm-hmm. Once we know him, we are in his hands. He'll never let us go. And if he could lose you or me, the result would be that he is not who he claimed to be. And so 
he stakes his entire claim. If you believe Jesus really is the, the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, God the Son, well, you could trust him to keep you safe and secure in his hands. Amen. Yeah, that is so helpful. Um, I know for so many people, I know for me as a child, I, I struggled with that for years, and I know other people continue to. So thank you for those scriptures. Mm-hmm.